Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me pray over you one more time. Um, Father, we just thank you so much for... Uh, how your gentle presence comes down upon us as your children. Uh, we pray this morning that everybody who's uh, braved, you know, just getting a workout this morning, carving out their car uh, and sculpturing ice, um, we pray that you would bless them. May you shine your face upon them. May you give them uh, days of joy ahead that are everlasting. And Missio Day, may you today just experience um, just the 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 enfolding arms of God upon you. Um, May you rest in his love. May you see that your life is hidden in Christ, who is your life. Um, So God, we pray that you just uh, bring um, your presence that changes and transforms and guides us today as a community. May you be shaped by your word this morning, God. May we be shaped by your everlasting word that is living and active. Your spirit breathes into it, and may my words as a communicator just fall to the ground, and may um, what you have to say to us last forever. And um, um, So yeah, would you, uh, as I pray, would you just give a moment of silence to um, ask God to speak to you this morning? Would you ask him to, um, I don't know what it is that you need to ask him, but I want you just to ask whatever it is to ask him boldly. That's all I ask of you, if you would ask a bold prayer to God, not some kind of like, oh, thank you for this day. We're all thankful here, God. (laughs) But I just want you to ask him of something to do in you that is bold right now. And God, we come to you just with such a reckless, like, audacious ask because we know that we're your children and that you love us and you want to give the spirit to us. You want to give good things to us. So God, we come to you asking boldly because we know that you're a good, good father. And we know that that's who you are and we know who we are and we're your children and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome. Uh, just two more announcements before we get moving. Um, number one, uh, this Wednesday uh, launches Lent. Which is, which is Ash Wednesday. Uh, this is a time that uh, it's also Valentine's Day and Single Awareness Day, whatever you want to call it. It's the, it's the happiest and most dreadful day of the year, and now it's Ash Wednesday, and it's amazing that we get to remember from dust you came and dust you shall return, all you beautiful, happy people. So um, the point of Ash Wednesday is to remember our life. Is, is lim- we are as human beings limited. We are finite, but yet we have a God who raises life from the dead. Amen? And so uh, we, we are coming together. Uh, that's Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, 7 p.m., not 6.30, but 7 p.m. at 1242 West Addison. Um, and then one more quick announcement. Um, you saw on our big, long burlesque table from the, 
from the 1900s out there, um, this, these beautiful uh, devotionals um, that we put together. Um, there are 19 uh, different people in our body. Um, so who needs a directory when you can just like read, read stories of people transformed? Um, so if you're new to Missio Day, we periodically pause. Uh, we're doing one, a service um, next week where we pause and just tell stories of what God's doing in our life. We, we begin to pause and just hear like, what is God shaping us as a community? What is he saying to us? Um, so it's not just sermons, but we're actually reflecting and engaging in storytelling. Um, but we decided, what if we put that in a book form? What if we decided to put that in a, in, a, in a document, an Ebenezer in and of itself, to say, like, here's how the Lord has been our stone of help. That's what Ebenezer means. Um, so these are, these are for you. We're, we're not going to charge you for them. They were $7.50 to create, 7 bucks. So if you want to put a little 5 five to $10 donation, an offering box, you can. But they're free. We're not going to, like, make you do transactions or anything like that. But if you want to help us offset costs, great. We'll take it. Um, but, uh, yeah, please take one. Um, if you got somebody that you really want to give this to, take one. Um, we want this just to be a blessing in your life. Um, read it at your own pace. There's 57 of these. You may want to read them all throughout Lent. Um, on Instagram and social media, we're going to post, like, a quote a week from somebody. Um, and so we're going to, like, kind of also pace it at, like, a, a, like a person a week, essentially. Um, so you could do it that way. Cool? That's these. Does anybody need this one? Anybody? Here? Yeah, Ben? Oh, oh, catch! Good guy. Good job. All right, so now that's out of the way, let's get into the message. Um, we are in our final week of Who is Jesus? Uh, the first week we looked at the fact that Jesus is, we talked about just kind of the, the inventions of Jesus that we put in our head, and we all kind of got our own little version of Jesus. Sometimes it's the, like, white Jesus with the long blonde flowing hair and he's always like why is he in the pictures always with a sheep petting it and it's weird right and he's white and like we sometimes get these images of Jesus we all often kind of project our own self onto Jesus a lot of times I think um and so we looked at like who the real Jesus is and we looked at he's supreme he's the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer and then we also looked at how he's the reconciler of all things, that he, we live in a world that's broken and shattered, and, and, and peace and shalom is, is, is just shattered in our world, and he's bringing all things together in him. And then last week, Bam taught us about how Jesus is the head of the church, uh, that he's the one who brings hope and healing, and, and he declares that you are holy and blameless. Um, this week, what I want to do is I want to get a little more practical. I want to get a little bit more um, just like equipping this morning. Um, and I want to equip you on how does actually Jesus transform our life, like really. All right? I, I don't know about you, but um, in, it, it, for the Colossians, they were hearing all these things Paul was saying. He was like, you are hidden in Christ. You have been dead with, dead with Christ. You have raised with Jesus. You are holy and blameless. You are God's chosen people. Amazing good news, Right? But then they also looked at the world and they see that they were alienated, they were hostile, there was evil deeds being done, there was dominions of darkness that they felt on an everyday basis, feeling feelings of being pressed down and oppressed, and feelings of just, just anxiety. That the sense they're like, how is this true, that there's this thing that's true of me, that, that Paul's telling us, and that what Jesus has done, but yet at the same time I feel a brokenness. So how am I actually transformed? And so they realize that we need spiritual transformation. And Paul gets into this in Colossians 3, begins to flesh out. This is what transformation looks like now that you've been dead and raised with Jesus. Um, and so uh, that's a lot of our experience, right? A lot of us, like, you're like, yep, transformation. But who's, who has a long way to go still? Anybody else? 
Oh, a long way to go? Okay, cool. I'm, the only, I'm not the only one. A lot of us in that transformation journey, if you're not, if you're like me, a lot of us just feel stuck. Uh, we feel stuck in our addictions, maybe whether it's an addiction to like uh, alcohol or pornography, or maybe it's like something else in your life. So a lot of us feel stuck in like just um, familial uh, family pain and baggage that we carry around from our upbringing and from our parents. We feel stuck in patterns and relationship patterns and, and, and unhealthy boundaries that we have. And, and a lot of us, uh, in this mode of spiritual transformation, we feel um, in a sense that we're stuck in these patterns of whether it's maybe it's money or romance or unhealthy expectations. And we want to change deep down, right? But a lot of us just don't know how. Like, how do we actually, how has Jesus actually transformed us? So, um, did a little studying and thinking, and, and I think you could su- summarize how we transform in general, even among secular psychologists, um, really with four things. Um, if you, if you'll, you'll move to this uh, slide in a couple, couple slides over. Um, four things that we uh, experience transformation. The first is the stories we believe. Um, the stories we believe. So there's a narrative in our head. There's a, a sense that this is where we get our identity, right? Your identity, if you think about it, is what is true of you, what is identical of you in every situation. And so there's these stories and narratives we believe about ourselves. There's the narratives and stories. It's so hard to see. Um, uh, and, and sorry about that. I don't know what is going on. All that white snow, I guess, out there is reflecting us. Welcome to Snow Globe Church. Um, we always dream to be in a snow globe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but there's the stories we believe. Second thing is the habits that you form. Um, and the, each one of these things, Paul is going to like really begin to press into, ironically enough, that the stories that we believe, the habits, the relationships, and environment, those are the four things. And what Paul is going to say in each one of these is that the story that is true of you is that you've, been, you've died and you've raised with Jesus. That's ultimately what is true of you. Like what you think is true of you, that you are what you, a lot of times what our world tells us is you are what you do, you are what you have, and you are what you desire. The last one's a more modern identity that we've developed. But you are what you do, you're your job, you're your, 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 your income, you're, you are what you have, you're your income, or what you don't have, you're the single person, or you're the married person, or you, you're this person with great looks, that's where you get your identity in, or what we, the desires we have. Like, you are what you desire. Like, a lot of people are like, well, who are you? You're like, the thing that, like, I saw one article, it's like, well, the thing when you're drunk and that just spews out of you, that's who you are. And it was like, it's the real you that's suppressed. I was like, okay, so it's like, whatever you want, depending on when you want it. So, like, if I am attracted to her, I must be, or if I'm attracted to him, I must be, or I'm attracted to both, I must be, and we develop identities around our desires in our society. We develop communities in this. And so um, what Paul is saying is your first and foremost identity is you are hidden in Christ. You are hidden in Christ, that you are like this vine, and, and Jesus is the vine dresser, and you're this branch around the vine, and you are hidden in him. You are completely enveloped. His arms have enveloped you and hidden himself in you. I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, Paul says that habits, he begins to say, put off the old patterns. In Colossians 3. Let me read the rest of it with, with you that um, Tom read, but there's, he keeps going. And let me, let me just read this again, um, the whole section. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So transition statement. If you've been raised, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's like, Christ is above, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Which means if he's seated, number one, his work is finished over you. Amen. 
And number two, if he's seated, he has authority over all things. So his work that he's done for you is finished. He's done with his reconciling work on the cross, but yet he's still working in this place of heaven, yet in full bodily form. And it says that he's there, and he says, set your mind on him, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's good news. Not only are you hidden with Christ, but you're hidden in God. You are like, you are, you are like the snow that's just enveloped this area. You are just like completely covered in His purity. You're completely covered in His righteousness. You are hidden with Christ in God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, Jesus is your life now, if you are a Christian, he says, he was, when he appears, you will appear with him in glory. So therefore, now there's therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So he's saying there's these old habits and practices that you've developed that now I want you to develop some new practices and new habits. On, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. So he starts to move to this analogy of like these clothes. He's like, put off these old clothes. Like, take them off. They're not you anymore. This is your old self, your old identity with its practices, and put on the new self. Put on this new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There is no Greek, nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then. Now he's going to say, here's the new practices. Here's the new, uh, here's the new practices as a follower. Here's how you're transformed. First of all, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, which we like to skip over that often because a lot of us just want to be told what to do. Like, just tell me what to do so I can do it and feel better about myself right? Or you, or you hate the commands and you dread the commands because you can't do them, or you love the commands because you think you can do them better than everyone else and you're self-righteous. And so he says, actually, we read over this, we read it like, put on then, as God's holy ones and holy beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, but this is the way Paul writes it, put on then as God's chosen ones and holy ones. That's who you are. And if that's who you are, begin to look like who you already are. And so he says, I want you to look like who you already are, which is in the image of Jesus, compassionate heart. That he had compassion towards outsiders, that he went to those on the margins. He went to those who were poor. Kindness. Put on kindness. Like, stop being a Christian jerk. <laughs> Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Be patient with one another. Oh, man. I'm getting ahead of myself. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you all must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And sing together with all songs and spiritual songs. And be thankful for Jesus Christ, for everything you do, and whether word or deed, may it be done in the name of Jesus. And so he's saying, like here, he's saying, you've, you, our world is shaping you. 
How are you transformed? First of all, it's, it's by the stories we believe, and Paul's totally countering their narratives. You've been told that like Caesar Augustus is Lord, but I'm telling you Jesus is. You've been told you need to get your identity as a Roman, but you need to find your identity in Christ. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. You're not what you desire. And then not only are the stories we believe, but also the habits. And he says, you need to, as a new believer, you need to actually begin to practice some new habits. You need to change your environment. You need to change some relationships. And so he's going to begin to get in this. So I just want to talk about today three core components of transformation um, and then some obstacles that I sense in our community to this transformation and then um, just some words of encouragement, if that's cool. Um, so the first thing that I think, uh, really, the picture of discipleship here at Missio Day is three things. Um, and I've stole this language from several different authors. Uh, it just makes it so simple. It's be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's it. That's so simple yet so hard. So the first thing of what it means to be transformed, this core component, is first we have to be with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples in Mark 2, he says, I called them that they may be with me. That proximity is the priority. And that we've, that's so foundational. We can't lose this. Often in the church we get bored with just being in God's presence. We get bored with seeking to just consume God's presence and be aware of his presence. And often we want to move on to peripheral things. We want to move on to doing, especially as like white middle class Americans. We love to fix things. We love to show that we can do it and we can fix it and we can do that. We love accomplishing and we get our identity in accomplishing. But the priority here is being with Jesus. Augustine said it this way. He says, Lord, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And so what he's saying there, I don't think he was talking to unbelievers saying like, hey, you need to find your rest in Jesus. I think he was talking to the church and saying that like, as long as you are trying to find who you are and rest in all these other identities, your life will be riddled with anxiety. You will be restless until you see that God is the only place you can rest. That he is the place that we find peace and assurance and joy. And so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. All the other pursuits and desires that we have, it's just us searching for God. I don't know who said it first, but like, I can't remember if it was, um, yeah, I can't remember. But behind the door of every knock on a brothel was a search for God. That like everything that we have, every passion and drive that we have in life, we find we're, it's a search for God and Him alone. So we get our identity in Him. There's a lot of people this week that like got really shaken this week because their identity was in their, their stock market or their, or their income. But like Jesus says, hey, your identity is in Jesus. You're hidden in Him. Be with Him. Be with Christ. This is the priority. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Some of our groups are reading The Pursuit of God which if you read it, I love it because he doesn't need to be nuanced. He's just still like writing from the 80s and he's just like telling you how it is. And you're like, so refreshing. Like someone just finally just say what they mean. Um, he says, the world is perishing for the lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing for want of his presence. And so I believe that we as a church, that's something that we're always going to be pointing you back to is to be with Jesus, be with Jesus, be with Jesus. And so as we are being with Jesus, the second thing that we do is we're with Jesus and we begin to become like Jesus. Um, we begin to begin shaped into his image, and we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, becoming like Jesus. Um, and so in this sense, this, there's a way of becoming that we're often taught um, that uh, there's a process of how we become. Now, 
and during the Enlightenment, there was like a movement towards, uh, a lot of us were either raised on an Enlightenment worldview or a very postmodern worldview, depending on when you were born. Um, the Enlightenment worldview basically was like whatever you, you, like we are thinking beings, right? Descartes said that like, I think, therefore I am. And so I, th- I think he was wrong. I think he was partly right. But he missed something, the fact that like you go back all the way to like 3rd, 4th, 5th century and you see people like Augustine, who I just mentioned, write things that no, are actually desiring beings. And so we're really both these rational beings and desiring beings. And so it, to be transformed, we do have to, in a sense, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's constantly going to write. We just saw it. Set your mind on things above, Christian. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, Philippians 4, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is peaceful, whatever is good, set your mind on these things and think about these things. And so he's always going to be saying that we have to believe what is true of us and stop believing the lies. The battle begins in the mind. But it's not just there. That's why you can't be transformed by listening to podcasts and coming and listening to sermons. As much as we do this here, it's just a very small picture. And I think in our culture, we get this. We get the intellect, but it's the rest of the process that we fall short on, which is the fact that we are desiring beings. And if we're going to change our desires, we actually have to change our habits, we have to change our practices, and what Eugene Peterson said is a long obedience in the same direction. And so this is going to take a lifetime to begin to be transformed, and we have to see that this is a long journey ahead, that we have to train ourselves. I love what uh, James K. Smith, he's one one of the authors that I love to read, he, he, t- he talks about um, this a lot in his books, but he talks about how, you know, he and his wife were like, he was converted into eating healthy and organic and farm-raised and farm-to-table. And, you know, his wife's showing him all these documentaries. He watched Food, Inc. He watched Forks Over Knives. He watched like, and then he's sitting here reading Forks, uh, some book about organic eating, and he's in Costco eating a hot dog, all right? Don't you got to love Costco? You can feed an army for like $18. It's amazing. You don't really feel good afterwards, but... And so he's this point is this, he was converted in his head that this is the way he should eat, but yet his habits were the same. And a lot of us know we have this large gap between what we know and what we, what we desire. And today, this morning, I just pray that you begin a journey of going, God, I want to rekindle my affections for you. I want to stir my love for you. I want you to stir my heart for you and fan it into flame. But I think there's some obstacles that are going to have to fall for us to do that. Um, and so we are, uh, what, what, uh, Augustine says, and he steals this from Aristotle, is that you are, we, we are transformed by imitation that then leads to practice. So if you think about how did you learn to talk as a baby? How's your, how's your, we have a lot of little babies in Missy O'Day um, growing like crazy here. But how did, you, how did your baby, you know, you began to, to, to see and, and, and imitate, and there's gaga, gaga, and it turns into dada. And you're like, yeah, the dad gets crazy and happy. And he's like, oh, that must have worked. And then he says, mama's second always, right? But... Um, but, but then he's a dad, dad, mama, and begin to learn to talk because there was an imitation and then a practice. And then we see, you think about like, how to, think back to like how you learned to drive a car, right? I mean, go back with me in, my, in your mind for a minute. Go back to 15. You're a nervous wreck. Your parents are telling you like 20 different things what to do, right? What do you got to check your mirror, put on your seatbelt, change gears, put in the clutch, and you're checking your mirror. You're, you're, you're tooting on your signal. You're thinking through everything. And now, I mean, how many of you have ever driven somewhere and you're like, I don't even know how I got where I am, but I'm here. My mind was somewhere else for 10 minutes and I'm here. It's because over time you begin to practice, practice, practice. Our musicians that came up here, 
they, they, they are up here just freely entering into God's presence. Now, if I got up here with my, the bass guitar, I'd be like, bah, bah, right? I would just be like dying because I haven't practiced. I don't have the freedom to become a musician. And so we need to like see that there's some, some habits that need to be transformed. That's why Paul says, like, take off these old things. You need to put on love, put on compassion, put on grace. So we are becoming like Jesus. And then lastly, we are doing the things Jesus did. Um, so what did Jesus do? If we were to, this is the priority of God. This is the priority of Jesus. Jesus was preaching. He was, he was spending time with the poor. He was eating with prostitutes and sinners. This is what he did. This is what Jesus did. He went with, to spend time with the lowly, dine intimately with them. He healed people. He did miracles. He, uh, he, he, he began to c- preach um, and confront to the religious corrupt, and he confronted the political corrupt. He began to, uh, he was peacemaking. He loved his enemies. I mean, he forgave generously. He gave his life willingly. And, then he's, and to be a disciple is this. Is first, we have to be with Jesus, then be transformed into the image of Jesus, and then we step in to do what Jesus did. This is what the New Testament authors were trying to write about. I want you to show you just one example, Matthew 15. Um, this passage of the story, we all probably heard this preached a ton of where, Peter, where Jesus walks on water. It says, shortly before Je- the dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. First of all, that's crazy, all right? Jesus is walking on water, all right? Again, he's, he's, he's the God-man. God-man is gangster walking on water, all right? <laughs> Preach it, bam. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, as we all would be, scared to death. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. We're scared but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter, of course, Peter, always the first one to speak up, tell me to come out to you on water. And he said, come on. And he said, then Peter got out of the boat. He started to walk on water. I mean, just imagine Peter's walking on water. He's doing the thing Jesus did. That's the point of the story. And then it says that he took his eyes off Jesus. Uh, when he was, saw the wind, he began to begin afraid. The storm came. And then it says, he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Now, whenever you hear this in the church, it's a great preaching point, but this is what we often say. Um, keep your eyes on Jesus when the storms come, because when you do, like, if you, don't, if you take your eyes off Jesus, you're going to fall in the storm. And that's a great preaching point. It's, it's, it's cool. But we miss the forest for the trees. The whole point of Matthew writing this is, do you see the disciples are doing what Jesus did? That's what he was showing them. It's like, the disciples are becoming like Jesus. They're actually doing the stuff he did. And so as a community, we want you to press in, just taking steps of faith, praying for people to be healed. Praying. Uh, by the way, we didn't get to update you, um, but two weeks ago, we, uh, Becky's, uh, Becky, I don't hope you don't mind if I share this, but um, Becky's, uh, um, is it okay? If I t- okay, cool, just to make sure. Um, <laughs> Becky's husband, Vern, um, went into cardiac arrest. Um, he, he, he was no longer breathing. Um, his heart stopped. They, they, they put him into an induced coma. Um, we, we got news on Sunday morning that, like, we didn't know if there was any brain, act, brain activity. We all huddled, prayed um, for God to do a miracle and raise him up from the dead, <laughs> essentially. I mean, we all weren't sure what was going to happen. And then the next afternoon, my wife Ashley started getting texts that, like, he's, he's, he's awake, he's talking. He's remembering. He's like, he's like saying jokes. Like they're like, who's the president? He's like somebody we don't like. And he's like, he's like 
alive, and, and now he's at home. He had a heart surgery with a defibrillator put in. Um, he's at home. They're doing well. They're in recovery process. There's a ton of needs still. Thank you for those bringing meals. But God does things uh, still. He's a, God, he's a God of miracles. Praise God. Amen. He does crazy things. Becky was telling me that, like, they were looking at the statistics of those who experience cardiac arrest. 95% of them don't make it. She said, we're going to make them a T-shirt that says, like, 5%. Just put it on his shirt. They let him walk around. Um, just amazing that God has done this. I mean, it's so cool. And so God says, step in. Do what I do. Pray for healing. Prophesy. Teach. Preach the gospel. This is the goal of the Christian life. Now, I want to speak of a couple of obstacles. I only have time for two. Um, so before I do that, let me just press into like back to being with Jesus. So go back to being with Jesus with me. Um, and so with being with Jesus, how do we do that? So first of all, we got to know who Jesus is. We got to know who reveals Jesus to us. And what we know is the culture doesn't reveal God to us. The culture doesn't dictate who God is. God dictates who God is. All right. And so if God dictates who God is and God has re- revealed himself in Jesus, he is the image of God. Now, how did we get to know about Jesus? Well, we didn't get to know about Jesus because we didn't get to see him because he died and rose again. But we get to know about Jesus through the authority and the teaching of the scriptures. So how, you got to think through what is the things that we must practice to become like Jesus? It's the scriptures. It's, it's, it, it's, the, it's what Paul says. Look at what Paul does. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And I love Paul is because if you read Paul, I don't know the percentage. I'd love to see what it is. I, I feel like 70% of it is all just stuff he's like, he's got the, the scriptures in his DNA, and he's just recalling everything from the Old Testament. And he's just seeing it all through the lenses of Jesus and just spewing it out. That's all Paul's doing. He's like taking the world and the problems that he sees, and he's taking what is true in the scriptures and what is true in Jesus, and he's just like weaving it all together into this story. And so the scriptures are central to our life. And so is, and also is prayer. He says, I want you to pray continuously. That's why we communicate heart of prayer so much. So how are you going to stir your affections? It's through these simple things. I remember asking a pastor one time that I really respect. Some of you have probably heard of him. And I, and I had a chance to spend some time with him. And um, I'm not going to say his name. But he said, I said, what's the greatest advice you've ever been told? And I was like waiting so eagerly like, well, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? He goes, this lady in my Sunday school class back when I first became a pastor looked at me and says, don't ever stop reading your Bible and praying. He says, that's the greatest advice I've ever been told. I was like, really? That's it? Like, are you serious? Come on, you got to give me some more. I'm like, but yeah, it's true. Like, it's so simple. But yet, that's what stirs our affections for Jesus. And lastly is worship. He says, sing songs and spiritual songs. Let's have the freedom of worship. Now, with these three things, I want to speak about an obstacle to Scripture because what I sense a lot of times is we don't spend time in Scripture because a lot of us are experiencing doubts about Scripture. Um, a lot of us are experiencing debt. We read the Bible. We, we think that, like, man, like, we read the Old Testament. Like, there's some crazy stuff in there. Like, how could this be true? Um, and so we live in an age of authenticity where the greatest sin in our culture is to tell someone what to do. Or to, or, and so we, when we read the scriptures, we think, like, man, this just feels like some of this stuff is crazy. There's, like, war and all these things. And, and let me just say this, that, like, Psychologists say that, before we like, get too critical of the Bible, um, psychologists agree that like, a large society, 95% of the population will acquiesce and go along with whatever the great ideologies of their time are. 
that human beings are, are wired, most of us, 95% of us, are wired to just basically be in agreement, whatever the dominant ideology is. So before we go into this, like, I'm so special, I'm so different, I never would have been, had those mindsets if I lived back then. No, you would. You would have been in agreement with the dominant society, statistically. So before, what C.S. Lewis called this is chronological snobbery. We think because we've advanced so far and have technological advancement, we look back on things of old and look at it with snobbery and be like, well, we're way more, they were oppressive then, look at us. Um, and so a lot of us, when we approach the scriptures, I want to say this, there's a lot of hard stuff in the Bible. When you read the Old Testament, some of you are like, what the heck? I don't understand this. But I want to show you something that's been helpful that I've saw um, uh, and I've, I remember this book, and someone referenced it in this, um, this uh, lecture I was listening to, um, and it reminded me of M. Scott Peck, who was a psychologist that became a Christian. And what he relates to is our spiritual development and the parallels to it between our actual physical development, all right? So hang in there with me. This is all in relation to reading, this, like doubting the scriptures here, um, which are obstacles. Just, yeah, we're stuck in spiritual adolescence. But first, um, first of all, so what he says is we're infants, so the spiritual growth process follows the natural process, that infants are first consumers, right? Like a lot of you just had babies in the house. Stantons, I don't think your little, your little girl is contributing, carrying her weight around the house probably right now, um, right? A lot of your little babies, um, um, Benedict is probably not like doing the chores, right? Um, and so we got all, they're consumers as an infants. And so what babies need in that moment is just to be taken care of and to, to, to be nurtured. And then as a child, you need certainty. Children need sense of certainty and safety and security. Things are very black and white and clear. But then when you move to adolescence, things become much more complex, right? You're like, as a teenager, you're like, what? No Santa Claus? You lied to me. What is happening? What is, who is real? What is going on? And so the teenage is meant to go through, it is healthy as a teenager to go through complexities of doubt. Because you have to make your world your own. You have to begin to develop your own beliefs. And it's actually good because if you never self-actualize, you will never have any kind of, of intimacy. And as soon as you leave the home, you'll binge on everything that was forbidden. And so teenagers, you need to doubt and teenagers need to own it. And as a parent, the worst thing you can say as a parent is, because I said so, because I'm a parent. Because you need to give them room to doubt and experience that. But here's the key. Um, the voices we listen to will determine if you move out of or get stuck in adolescence, spiritually, and for the rest of your life. So it's okay to doubt. You need to wrestle with that. If you've never made the scriptures your own and have seen the fact that, that God is real and begin to make God your own, you need to have a moment of doubt. And it can be healthy if some things are connected to it. And what the things that are connected to it is that you actually move from that into adulthood, which the key of adulthood is this, that when you actually become an adult, you become like a child again, he says. You actually begin to, you can believe in absolute truth, but you carry it with wonder and humility, and you have, you have a sense of like awe and mystic communion with God. And so it's okay to doubt. It's actually, the book of Jude says, actually, be merciful to those who doubt. But when you are in there, don't listen to the cynics who are 30 years older than you who are just stuck in spiritual adolescence angst. Because that's not authenticity, that's immaturity. And God is calling us into a people that say, let's wrestle with it so we can move into adulthood, so we can enjoy being with Jesus. 
But if we don't move out of that stage, anytime we approach the Scriptures, we can't enjoy being with Jesus. And we're just constantly questioning, doubting, and so we just give up on the Scriptures altogether. And, and so the call is to wrestle with it and to intentionally wrestle with it and go, okay, who are the voices that are actually showing communion with God? Who are the people that are ahead of me that actually commune with God and aren't just deconstructing my worldview and giving you nothing left? And if you do that and they give you nothing, you inhabit nothing. And so I just want to encourage you that this is, is, is an obstacle in our midst, all right? Is that good? Some of you? No, not really? Okay. It's because I'm speaking to you if it's not good. Um, all right, so let's move forward. All right, uh, <laughs> just kidding. I love you guys. This is, this is what I do as a pastor. It's the Sunday when it snows, so you get to be a spiritual parent. Even though I'm like really young in myself, all right? So I'm just trying to honor what God's put on my heart. Um, all right, so it's the second thing that, uh, that I want to, the obstacle is in, is in becoming like Jesus. Um, in becoming like Jesus, I sense an obstacle too of, of a sense of just moving towards technique and tips and pain avoidant strategies. And so it, becoming like Jesus is a long journey, and it's the sh- we're going to get into the shape of it. But before we do, we often um, want to cling to techniques that will help us, right? Like, just Google reinvent yourself if you don't believe me. Hey, have anybody ever seen these articles come up on your feed sometimes? Re- 10 ways to reinvent yourself. 20 ways to, li- to hack uh, reinventing yourself. I'm like, you got to have a hack guide to reinvent. Like, what is going, like, you just like, you read it, and you're like, reinvention. It's, it's a project that you need to move into. Like, here's some of the things that I was reading on reinvent, reinventing yourself. It's hilarious. Create a vision board for your life. Sorry if you have a vision board, but <laughs> build a personal brand on social media. This is how you can reinvent yourself. The ultimate cheat sheet for reinventing yourself. Um, it says that uh, it, it takes about five years to reinvent yourself. Um, so we, we, I say that because we deep down as Americans love change, and we want to be transformed. That's what it shows. We want to be transformed. We're all about reinventing ourselves. I just looked on Netflix. Snoop Dogg is now Coach Snoop, all right? I mean, come on. Think about all the, re- like, Super Bowl, Justin Timberlake was just a boy in a boy band. Now he's a man in the woods, right? I mean, he is re- he's done a great job of reinventing himself. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Do I have to say more? He's now Mark Wahlberg. That's a great reinvention move. You don't want to be Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch forever. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, one of the best reinvention projects, the muscle man who's like the going to the image capital of the world, and now he's the governor. Like, yeah, you're, you're the, you, you've, you've made it in reinventing yourself. Um, and so all of these things, we love change. We, we, people try to change their skin color. People change their gender. People change their names. People change spouses. People change marriages, careers, and locations. And the fundamental desire is to be transformed. That's the desire, that we're meant to be transformed. Do you feel that? Do you want that? Jesus says like, the, the, re, the way we do that is not external changes. Because if you can make all the external changes you want, but the problem is, is you're still you. You're still you with your desires and your, your, your identities that are not in Jesus. And so Jesus' vision is not that our old nature would give birth to a new nature. Jesus' vision is that resurrection life would transform the old nature. That it would not be an external reinvention but an internal recreation. Let me just contrast that right here with the, uh, 
the reinvention with um, a story in one of our devotionals of a new life um, from Harold, um, who I think maybe he's on vacation. But hear the difference. Harold writes this, One never forgets a date that changed their life forever. I remember it like yesterday. I was about to finish my shift as a warehouse supervisor at a local home improvement store when I got a call from my fiancé. She had told me that her landlord's daughter had given her a notice of eviction of unpaid rent. You see, I had been behind in my rent in the past couple of years and hid this fact from my fiancé. I had lied and told her that I was catching up on the bills and I should be in the clear soon, but that was all a sham. I had been only paying our current rent. I was ashamed to admit the truth and was hoping it would all go away. But like all sins, it came to light. I didn't know what to do. I remember driving home that day, trying to figure out how to make things right with both my fiancé and my landlord. I had never been more scared in my life. I even thought about taking my own life. After taking things, talking things through with my fiancé, he had asked me to speak. She asked me to speak with her father, a pastor in a small town, and I asked for guidance. He spoke to me and confessed, and I confessed my sins. And he said, "Son, I forgive you and what you have done to my daughter. And I always remember God's, always remember God's love. Have faith in Him and ask for His forgiveness." He says, "My fiancé forgave me for what I have done, but I knew I had a lot of work to do to earn her trust once again." We spoke to our pastor after church and discussed our situation. I felt a great weight had been lifted off my shoulders after we talked. He referred me to another member of our congregation, a financial planner. God works miracles through financial planners. We met and prayed together, and after that meeting, I began to feel that God had forgiven me for what I had done. Get this. I finally understood that for me to be truly forgiven, I had to surrender myself to God and trust him. After that day, I began to do daily devotionals and prayers. Soon things got better for us. I worked out a payment arrangement for my rent. I attended Alpha where I experienced people who loved and listened. I got baptized in the church. God blessed me with a better job. My fiance forgave me. We got married. We've committed our lives to serving Christ. I truly believe that God offers us his riches at Christ's expense. We simply need to accept his grace and goodness. That's the contrast between external transformation and internal transformation. And the way internal transformation has a shape. Um, we, we saw this in the passage that we are died in Christ and then raised with him. And so all throughout the past, there's all these authors, Richard Foster, Peterson, Henry Nowen, all the mystics, they say this. They all agree that transma- transformation has a shape. There's a descent and an ascent. And we want to avoid the pain of the descent and just go straight to the resurrection life. But when you look at uh, another parallel passage to this hymn, um, in Colossians uh, 1, there's another hymn in Philippians 2. We talk about this passage often. It says this, that Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He emptied himself, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself as being obedient to death, even death on the cross. Do you see the descent? And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Here's the ascent. And gave him the name that is above every name, that of the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And and the glory goes to God the Father. So Jesus' incarnation, he steps into the pain of our world. He dies, and then he raises again. And that's the shape of our transformation. That's what Colossians 3 is saying. He says, I want you to put off the old self. The the way that we are transformed is, Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, you must die. We don't like to preach that a lot because we like snow globe church. We love church that makes us feel good. The goal of church is not to make you feel good. 
The goal is that you'd be transformed to the image of Jesus. And he says the shape of this is that you would die to your old self, put off the old man, beloved, and then put on the new. Experience the transformation of God. This is good news. So that you can then experience his resurrection. But when we think that sin in our culture is just like, like not of value, it's like, have you ever been sick and gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and all of them are saying nothing's wrong with you? And you finally find a doctor that's like, I know what's wrong with you. I can treat you. That's what happens when in our culture we stop, we remove sin, and we just think the greatest sin is not being your authentic self, this little thing, and we forget that sin's a thing, and then you like going around like, I can't get this pressure off me, I can't get this shame off me, this guilt off me, and you finally go to the doctor, and Paul's like, you've broken God's law. Like, you've sinned, that's what's wrong with you. But I have an answer, his name is Jesus, and your life is hidden with Christ. That you have died to your old self, and experienced the resurrection of the new. And in him, you're hidden. This picture of hidden, I love it. It's just like, I don't know, it's just like a, the best way I can explain it is just like marriage for me personally, because I'm, I'm married. Or you, know, you could use it as like a friend that you've been lifelong friends with for your whole life. That, those, that relationship, it changes, and you're hidden in each other. And you transform each other. And you're no longer worried about one winning or the other winning. You're all about the, each other winning and growing, and your life is hidden in each other, and you become one. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want to do to you. I want you to become one with me. Now, that's, that's the other obstacle. It's not pressing into the death and dying to the old self and trying to cover it up with techniques and tips and reinventing ourselves and pain avoidance strategies. We've got to die in order to experience the new. Um, lastly, I just, I'm running out of time, so I just want to say three things to us and encourage us um, as we close. So to be transformed, these things, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. Um, all of this, I just want you to know three things as a church. Um, is One, I just want you to experience the delight of God. That's what he, Paul is trying to get at through all these words. That's what I'm trying to get at is God delights in you. He delights in you. There is now no condemnation in Christ. He delights over you. you whatever you did last week, whatever you did, this, the, the fact that you, whatever sin, the old self that you put back on, he's saying that just, I don't even see it. You're, you're enveloped into the arms of mercy. You're enclosed and hidden with Christ. And I delight in you. Like, I delight in, in you. Some of us have like, we think God is obligated to love us. God's love, he loves the world, so he must be obligated to love us. God is not obligated to love you. He loves you and is delighted to love you. He enjoys loving you. He gets joy from you. He, he loves you and delights in you, church. And if you experience that, the second thing I want you to see is that that kind of love will radically set you free to experience the resurrection life. And my second prayer for us today is that you would just experience freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom from bondage, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. May you experience the broken shackles of the habits and things and patterns that in bondage you. May you experience the freedom of God's resurrection power over your life. This morning, anew, may you let this morning be a marker where you say, I will move into the patterns of freedom in the raised life. And so I pray that you would experience this freedom of the resurrection life. And then lastly, when we've done that, church, we will bear testimony 
as a community. I just, I don't know about you, but I feel like some of us can be really sucky at celebrating the things we have as Christians. We're like, oh yeah, I've been raised again. Yeah, I, uh, my wife's hidden with Christ. You know, I got baptized and, you know, I, I'm seated with him, I guess, in the high places. <laughs> I just, I, I've, I think I'm a beloved, I guess I am, you know. And instead, we should be like, I got new life. My sins will never be punished again. I'm completely free. Do you want it? I got some of it. Let me tell you about it, and we need to delight in the life of God. May we delight in the love of God. May we delight. That's why Paul says, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful. Like, move through your spiritual adolescence, yes, but move into the mystery and mystical communion of being hidden with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.